Welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, presented by Roast House Pub and Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland, as well as Havoc Brew Supply, the one-stop shop for all of your brewery's needs. Check them out at hophavoc.com. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am joined by the founder of Pathfinder Farm Distillery, Nate Kraft. Thanks for coming out to Frederick on this rainy day to talk about your distillery. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. I always love coming to Frederick. We do some farmer's markets over here. It's always great to get out. That's definitely a big thing for distilleries, isn't it? The the farmer's market scene. Oh, yeah. And especially uh, in Washington County and Frederick County. We're doing 10 of them, and uh, we're in two over here in Frederick now on Saturdays and Sundays. Do, do you see most of your sales through there, or is that still... do you? Mostly through the distillery. Well, most of our sales are from going to farmer's markets. I was going to say, with that many, that, that's got to be pushing some volume. Do you um, Are you distributed at all, or do you just do at the distillery and farmer's markets? We do some self-distribution to okay. local liquor stores here in Frederick in the Hagerstown area. Um, when did Pathfinder open? So we opened during the pandemic. Perfect and, uh, timing. Yeah, it was great. Although, I mean, being, do you, did you have special, uh, like farm breweries kind of had an advantage a little bit. Did you have that same advantage in the distillery world? Or, I mean, I guess it really wouldn't. Not for us being a farm distillery in Washington County. Uh, I had to work with our friend Selena Wilkes from Elmwood Farm and uh, they're a bed and breakfast, but. We had to get the zoning changed in our county to even be a, allowed to do farm distillation without special exceptions. So there was a lot of working with uh, the government to get to get open. Is farm is a farm distillery a separate license than a regular distillery, or is it just a distillery license? No, we just have the regular distillery license. Okay. Yeah, because like in the beer world, there's a specific farm brewery license and or I, I can't remember all the details but it, they're able to operate a little bit differently than like a, no, a regular brewery um so tell me a little bit about the farm so uh our farm is in Keatesville, just south of boonesboro maryland halfway between frederick and hagerstown and uh the farm looks up on south mountain and uh, our farm's 42 acres and it's split between um cropland pasture we have a little half acre fishing pond and uh the reason i wanted little to half well, acre <laughs> well I'm, other people got bigger yeah. ponds than i well uh, i would say you have a fishing pond <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a beautiful place yeah. and uh we decided to call our farm pathfinder farm because the appalachian trail runs on the ridge in front of the oh, house okay. and uh my family's history is pennsylvania dutch and the language is german and when i was a kid i was big into the boy scouts and uh the uh, literal translation of scout from German to English is pathfinder, fodfinder. So I found that yeah. connection and I was like, yeah, we're going to be pathfinder farm. Did, um, is this, uh, well, I'm guessing not since you're, you just said you're from Pennsylvania. I was going to say, is it in like a family farm or was it, did you purchase it specifically to open the distillery on it? We purchased the farm four years ago, specifically to grow corn, to make, whiskey and uh to have a like an agricultural rural life for me and my family what um what did you do previously oh before uh well i was in the navy for 10 years and uh my wife she was in the pennsylvania air national guard we lived all over the world i was stationed on ships in japan everett washington shore duty in san diego california and 
after I got out of the Navy, we traveled around Mexico on a sailboat because that, that was our <laughs> previous passion. And uh, that sounds awesome. It was a really good time. Totally different 42 foot sailboat, 42 acre farm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what did you do in the Navy? Oh, I worked on uh, weapon systems, shipboard self defense, computer, uh, radar system, Gatling gun for shooting down anti ship missiles and um, small boats on the surface. And then I did that as a contractor and then as a government civilian for a few years while I was getting the distillery up and running. So, how did you get into distilling? Well, that was back when I was in the Navy. I had to go to a school in San Diego. And, well, my mother-in-law, she had bought a, one of those Mr. Beer homebrew kits. Yeah. I made some homebrew in Japan. Bought other, like, beer brewing kits in San Diego. Brought them back to Japan to make it. It's awesome that you started with a Mr. Brew kit because <laughs> the percentage of breweries that start with a Mr. Brew kit is astronomical. <laughs> By Like, that was the first exposure that the like the founder of a brewery mm -hmm. had to brewing was mr beer so it's cool that there are distilleries that have roots in mr beer also <laughs> yeah and then uh well the other route my my dad and i we did the uh the distilling class at dragon distillery here in frederick okay and uh that really helped me up my uh the, home distillation the game. bourbon one yeah it was yeah I, I i went through that one we shot a video and i wrote an article about it it was fun oh yeah it's a lot of fun and like um, Mark would be asking, uh, anyone want to, you know, connect the hoses or like dump the grain. And I was always like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. That's, <laughs> That's cool neat. stuff. Yeah. Um, I've taken McClintock has a really good one too. I took their whiskey making class. I mean, I guess bourbon is whiskey, but there, mm -hmm. there's this, uh, about rye whiskey. Um, so when, when did the seed to open your own brewery start to be planted? So the idea was um, I was at a friend's farm when I uh, came back from San Diego. I was fishing with my dad and my son on the dock, and I was talking to him, and I was like, this was like I think seven years ago. I was like, it would be really cool if we could grow corn and make whiskey, like have it all the way from the field to the flask, sunshine into moonshine, like have that whole process and own it. So that's kind of where the idea came from and then snowballed from there. How how long did it take from your first idea of it to Pathfinder becoming a reality? It was, uh, well, 2016 was when we moved to the Pleasant Valley kind of Boonesboro area. And uh, from there, we we're trying to find the right place to, to do the distillery and we bought a house, and uh, then this farm down the road came up for sale with a coming soon sign and uh, drove drove past it and uh, scoped it out, saw that there was a, a creek coming out from, like, right where the basement is, and I was like, oh, wow, is this is this house built on a spring, like Appalachian Mountain spring water? <laughs> like, and then uh, there were some people that were cleaning it up, getting ready for sale, and they said, oh, yeah, you can, you can come in and took a little taste of the water and was like, yeah, this is, this is great stuff. We could use this to make great whiskey. And, um, it's right down the road from, from big cork. And so oh, nice, like a really great location. Told my wife and brought her by and we're like, awesome. So did you, did you move, you moved to this area 
with the idea that you were going to open a distillery? Or did you move here and then decide? We moved here and then decided. Okay. We moved here to be close to family, but it was always like an idea that I had had to do some kind of like farm brewery or some something fun and rural. Because when, when we got off the boat at the end of, we traveled around for like a year and a half with my wife, Natalie, and my son, Sullivan. And uh, we stayed with family and they have a, a 30-some acre farm down by uh, uh, Knoxville, Maryland. And staying there, and they were growing grapes and um, getting into some, like, growing hobby agriculture. Yeah. And uh, I was like, this is really fun. And I was like, well, how can we do something that's farm-based? And I started researching, and I was like, I love old tractors. My grandpa, he did some pretty good-scale hobby farming of hay, like large garden, home canning, raising beef cattle and hogs. And that... That's almost exactly what my grandfather did also. Yeah, yeah. and that's Not, what people did. The pigs weren't consistent, but he always had, I don't know, six to ten cows and then mm-hmm. the chickens and uh, there were animals all over the place. Yeah. Horses off and on. Yeah, and I just remember being a kid and I always got energized, excited when it was like time to drive the the big old tractors yeah. to plant and dig potatoes. Like he was an older guy and um, he was specific about he he would be the one working the plow behind and he would have me as like an 11 or 12 year old kid on this big tractor dragging it. And, <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I really like that idea of working together with family and that had to find a way to make a, a family farm workable as a, as a profitable venture. Um, so obviously you can't start right out with Brown liquor. Um, so what, uh, what did you make along the way to get to the point of where, um, you now have a, all right. So um, we started out, I had the idea, all right, we're going to do whiskey and we're going to do, we're going to grow barley. We're going to have it go out to the malt house. So our first year was um, three years ago and we grew malting barley. I consulted with the folks at um, our Maryland Department of Ag and our um, extension office to figure out what's the best barley to grow here. We grew five acres of it. And then um, I'm a beginning farmer. So I'm a guy with a dream. So we got hooked up with uh, Lauren Carty from Burkittsville, and he helped us get these uh, grains in the ground because he had all the experience and knowledge. And I made a spreadsheet about all the all the things that I would need because I love tractors and getting yeah. out there and doing things. And my wife was like, we're only going to use that for like one day a year. Why not have someone else do that part of the process? So. Natalie keeps me grounded and on the right track. <laughs> so you didn't get to buy your tractor? It actually took me like two years to get a decent tractor. Oh, like we had an well, old. At least you have your tractor now. We had the <laughs> this, uh, the the tractor that's on our daily driver whiskey bottle. Um, I'll talk more about that later. But it's a 1942 Farm All A tractor, and that was my grandpa's. And we had that at our previous house for plowing the driveway and okay. dragging trees and doing doing work. But uh, yeah. But you were talking about going from 
cleared brown liquor. So um, we decided to plant plant barley, have it malted at Dark Cloud Malt House. That was an awesome experience. And um, the problem was we didn't have all our licenses and for our first season. So a lot of it we didn't get to use as intended and being new. We had difficulties with storage, but then we also grew a heirloom variety of corn called Bloody Butcher, which is this beautiful red color. And uh, so my idea changed um, to be really great at growing this heritage variety of corn, saving the seed year after year, and to make the finest corn whiskey that we can. And then some of it will bottle clear. Others do fruit-infused moonshines because we're not an old moonshine kind of backwoods up in the hills family. It's more of modern um, hobby gone, yeah. gone wild. And uh, had some recipes from my dad who has a one-gallon tabletop distiller. and uh, To make essential oils, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, for <laughs> making essential things. And, uh, yeah, but the uh, doing fruit infusions with this really good corn whiskey. And uh, so started our path was to do that, but also um, historically... Uh, age that good whiskey in a gallon glass jug with charred oak chips or spirals. And then it gets the flavor, the color of aroma, like of a bourbon, but without the time or expense in a barrel. And it, we call it, th- that's what we're calling our daily driver. So. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So you're not you're not barrel aging anything yet, or have you started? So we are barrel aging as we get enough product, okay. or if we have excess, that's when it goes into the barrel. So we have done bourbon. Our first bourbon release was uh, it was a five gallon barrel made 25 bottles that we bottled at a hundred proof. And that was the, the demand was phenomenal. Um, and the way that we released it was, uh, we're in a, a group called the Valley craft network. And, uh, th- there's a, a studio tour the weekend before Thanksgiving every year. And it, it's been going on for 40 years in the, uh, Pleasant Valley and Middletown areas. And, uh, there's painters, there's potters, there's a uh, meadery, um, Willow Oaks, over in Middletown and uh, us. There's a goat farm with uh, handmade soaps and things. So it's like a group of artisans getting together to cross-promote and share. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. I've never so. heard of that before. I also don't go <laughs> to that area very often. Okay. Yeah, but it but it's fun. You should check it out this year. And uh but uh I got hooked up with uh Dirk Martin from Foxcross Pottery and uh my wife and I we went over to his pottery studio after we got in the studio tour and checked it out and one of his his jugs um he makes like pots, plates, bottles and things and I saw the angle on it on this jug in the neck. Here, let me grab it. All right. And I saw the shape oh, of that bottle. That's really and cool. I was like, oh, that it it reminds me of my still. And I was like, Dirk, I want to put my first bourbon in this handcrafted, locally made jug from you. And so uh we worked together, we put put together a gift set of uh twenty-five handcrafted and well, the bourbon turned out phenomenal, even though it was just in a five-gallon barrel for six months. Um, it was very well-received, and we're looking forward to uh, doing a new iteration this year where uh, we're going to take... We've been slowly putting down barrels, um, mostly 30 gallons, and um, we'll be releasing that um, during the Valley Craft Network studio tour this fall. It's just going to be... A great, a great time. I'm excited. That's awesome. That that is a beautiful v- vessel. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So you didn't do. Uh, have you done any kind of vodkas or gins, or are you st- you stuck with moonshine and then um, whiskey? So right now we have been uh, corn whiskey distillery. I've been. Playing with the idea of doing a vodka. We have a tote where we're putting heads, tails, and other distillations from the corn that don't meet my exacting standards that um, we're going to get there sometime, but it's not a not a big high priority. I've said before that the world doesn't need another vodka, but yeah. if they do need a vodka, it should be my red corn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our red corn is a good replacement for vodka. People like making mules out of it, and uh, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, it's a good pretty, pretty close to a neutral spirit. If if it, I mean, especially if it's clean. And it, um, I'm betting that the fruit infused and flavored moonshine sell really, really well at the farmers markets. Oh yeah, they do. And uh, like people always come up to us and they're like, "Oh, I've never tried moonshine before. Oh, that's uh, that's that's not good stuff." So. I always like to start them off by giving them a sip of our 100 proof clear red corn moonshine and be like, we'll just try this corny sweetness on the nose, buttery finish. Like it's not, we don't make rock gut whiskey and then try and hide it with fruit. (laughs) I think that that probably is a a big hurdle to come over. Like when you make a lot of moonshine is that if the perception that you have to get over in the education of what you're making to people. Oh yeah. And a lot of people are, they're apprehensive when they come up, but uh, the way we do ours is fruit in the jar and uh, that our moonshine, it's not overly strong. And we also give them the option to try it as a cocktail because there's signature cocktails for, for all of them. And uh, like for the red, the, the red corn moonshine, we use it to make, margaritas at the farm so nice. but it, it's more of a like a redneck or a fredneck kind of margarita <laughs> where we'll mix yeah. it with limeade 
And <laughs> so two ingredients, easy. Please tell me you call it a redneck margarita. We do call it a redneck okay, margarita. Good. I would be really disappointed in you if you didn't. And uh, well, just this year is when we started doing Frederick Farmers Markets and people were like, redneck. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. But I, uh, I find, and I definitely, when I, when I first moved to Maryland, I, I moved to Montgomery County. And that's what Frederick was always referred to as when I lived down there. But I feel like Frederick has completely outgrown the Fredneck yeah. name. I and mean, maybe I'm biased because I love Frederick so much, but I feel like it has. Mm-hmm. Well, Frederick is the, the hipper side of the mountain now, and Washington County is the yes, more rural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what all different flavors do you offer? Oh, so for us, we've got a... Our blueberry moonshine and our apple pie were the the first um, of our releases. The uh, blueberry has a little bit of vanilla in uh, to appeal to the wine drinkers in the family. We added that to <laughs> made my mom like it a little bit more. And uh, gotta keep mom happy. Oh yeah, and our apple. Uh, we always use apples from up in Smithsburg, Maryland, and we've used uh, Ivy Hill Farm and Reinhardt Orchard and. Also got some from uh, Rob at Distillery Lane Cider Works. He had okay. a very early uh, apple variety that came in, and it was just big and bold, like great flavor, crispness on the apple. So we always look to make the best and use all natural ingredients. So, um, Yeah, I guess uh, you can't do moonshine without having the apple pie one. I, th- I think there would be a revolt <laughs> but from moonshine drinkers. Yeah. And I really like doing the the apples from Smithsburg and the folks at the Smithsburg Farmers Market. There, they love it because it it's a product that comes from their backyard. Um, which one is your best seller? So it's kind of kind of seasonal, Chris. The uh, the blueberry and the apple pie are always real strong. Um, and then um, my dad would always make blueberry and apple pie and give it to friends and family at Christmas time as presents. But then my mom was like, you need to do something with cranberries. Like, and he came up with this orange cranberry recipe. And I don't know anybody else that makes an orange cranberry moonshine besides, besides Pappy. And, uh, it is wonderful in the fall. We make Cosmos out of it at the farm, or you can make, mix it with lemonade, Sprite, seltzers if you want something lighter or just sip it out of the jar and eat the fruit, you know, <laughs> but that, that's like the thing we want it to, uh, on the side of the jar, it says, grab a jar and pass it around with love and kindness, the Kraft family. Like, we're trying to be good good to you. Are, um, are they all natural fla- f- just natural flavors from the fruit inside them? Yep. So oh, good. Corn whiskey base. Um, the apple pie is apple slices, brown sugar, cinnamon stick, blueberry. We use real vanilla extract for the, the vanilla, a little bit of sugar, um, blueberries. And uh, for the orange cranberry, oranges, uh, craisins, a little bit of sugar. Yeah, all natural. Great beer starts with great ingredients. At Havoc Brewing Supply, they offer a wide selection of premium hops, fruit purees, malt, cleaning supplies, and more. Their family-owned business is dedicated to helping you create the perfect beer. Havoc offers flexible contracts, lightning-fast shipping, and unrivaled customer service. Join the Havoc Brewing Supply family and elevate your brewing game. Shop small, brew big, grow together. Visit HavocBrewingSupply.com today to learn more. 
McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. What type of still do you have? Oh, so uh, back at the farm, our uh, our process is a little different than most distilleries because uh, I have a 100-gallon um, pot that has uh, electric hot water heater elements in it and a recirculating pump that I got from uh, Stephen Stills up in uh, New England. And um, so with that, we can't do on-grain distillation. So our mashing process is really similar to um, brewing. So my my uh, mash tun is a 150-gallon insulated mash tun with a false bottom, like a giant home brewer's mash tun. And uh, basically we mash in there with 100 gallons of boiling water, 350 pounds of corn, and we use uh, three different enzymes to do the starch to sugar conversion. And it um, flows out, and then we sparge it, put it over into the fermenter, and throw the yeast when it gets to 100 degrees and let it ferment three days to a week. And when fermentation is done, pump it over. And then uh, on the top of the pot, we've got a three-plate. It's all copper, column still. And uh, it's got some cooling water up at the top and little sight glasses so you can see the liquor dancing when you're distilling and it's always fun to watch oh yeah so you get the you get the top of the still at about 180 degrees and then a copper line arm that goes over to a big copper worm so just a coiled up pipe and a 25 gallon drum and and it drips out at 155 to 160 proof and for corn whiskey that is just the best flavor so that's that's how we try to run it how uh how often do you have to run it to keep up oh uh so we've been running after harvest we were just running um five days a week so had a pretty yeah, good i guess at that point it's probably more important to use the the everything you just harvested to make sure it doesn't go bad because the, the spirit's obviously going to be fine once you yep produce everything yeah so at the farm we grow it um lauren harvests it we dry it in the grain bin and uh from there we have been shipping it off to clear spring my buddy josh he's a seventh generation farmer out there and they uh he has a, a business homestead harvest where they uh do specialty feeds and things and he would grind it and bag it in 50 pound sacks for us and uh just Last month, we got our own hammer mill installed at the farm. So now uh, in the next month, we're going to start grinding our own corn, and it's never going to leave the farm until it's ready to go home with you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So is, is every bit of corn used in your moonshine grown on the farm, or do you have to supplement it? Yep. Everything that we've used has been our corn, and we've sold to some other local distilleries, uh, Meinl Schmidt, up in Hagerstown, they've used our Bloody Butcher and um, Schmidt Spirits for their Inkwell whiskey. Okay. They've, they've used ours too. And uh, I really like working with other 
local distillers to, you know, help them have a Maryland product yeah. that, that we can all be proud of. It's just a cool name for corn too. Oh yeah. So is it just is, is it those ears of corn that are just like bright red like shades of red? Yeah. I guess yeah. There's a couple kernels right there in that. Mm-hmm. That yeah. jar. Yeah, it's that dark, beautiful yeah, red. Not color. bright dark. Mm-hmm. Is a better. Like it looks like blood. Yeah. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, like kind of the the story and history of bloody butcher corn, like um, it is a an heirloom variety from the Virginia. Western Maryland, West Virginia areas, and it was prized by home bakers for having a good nutty flavor when you grind it up, and it makes really great cornbread muffins, but it makes really, really fine whiskey, too. It doesn't yield as great as the other, like, modern, genetically modified corns, and uh, there are some other issues with it, because the stalks, when they grow, they they grow 12 feet or even taller, and uh, sometimes they fall over if there's too much wind but it it's wonderful it's a wonderful grain to work with so they, do they just have less um starch and sugar in them than the genetically modified ones is that what causes less of a yield or is it the it's the uh, the variety is open pollinated so um back in the earlier part of the 1900s um they started doing hybrid corns where they would take um, certain traits from one variety and make it with another. And that, um, I guess, things were bred for resiliency and for yield yeah. while this was open pollinated. So we'll oh, get. Oh, so you mean, like, I, I was thinking yield from the standpoint of using it to distill its yield of how much corn grows per stock. Right. Okay. I, I was thinking yield in the raw, like post grinding. Oh, uh, okay. Like the usable starches inside of the sugar is what mm-hmm. I was thinking in my mind. This variety does have a slightly higher protein content than your standard number two dent corn. Um, we did send it off to the lab for analysis our first year because didn't have my licenses, didn't want to get thrown in jail for moonshine. It's <laughs> a good so idea. <laughs> sold, sold a bunch of it to a, na- a neighbor farm and uh, also sold a lot of barley off, um, which helped, helped, you know fun things, keep things rolling around. But, um, yeah, that was one thing was people were concerned. Oh, is the, what's the nutritional value of this red corn if I feed it to my cows? <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out all right. Uh, so do you have other seasonal flavors that you do, or is it the, those three? So uh, right now we've also released a cinnamon, and that was very well received. Um, is that mm. like during pumpkin spice season? <laughs> <laughs> We need to get a, a proper label for it because we've been doing other things. Here, let me grab this brew shine. And okay. Show you. So, uh, well, we did get some uh, beer from Smoketown uh, Brewing in Frederick okay. and down there in Brunswick. and uh, kind Soon of the, to be in Hagerstown? Soon to be in Hagerstown, Hub City Brewing. Yep. Yeah, we're excited for that. Um, but uh, my brother-in-law down at his place, um, when... That was the the vineyard and thing I was talking about earlier. That he had some beef cattle, and uh, I was like, "Well, can't we get like brew grain to supplement their feed? You know, save some bucks." So we started talking to the folks at Smoketown, and we're uh, bringing brew grain up to the farm and feeding it to the cattle. And uh, then if they had uh, an overproduction, we would get some of their beer and run it through the still and distill it. And I uh, I call it brew shine. So we've got a uh, different 
different batches that we've released, and each different beer makes a wonderfully different and distinct spirit. I was amazed at how how that works. Because, like, McClintock has done um, ones with well, a bunch of breweries, but the at they, they did a double release of Monocacy ones. One was done with their Riot Rye, and then one was done with Brutus, the um, their stout. And, like, just ha- coming off the still, just how incredibly different they taste is amazing. And I, I get, and it, that was also just when I had almost no knowledge of like how distilling works and all the that goes into it. Um, but it's still kind of crazy. Like it's just this clear liquid, but depending on what it came from, it tastes so different. Oh yeah. Well, here I'm gonna line these up for you. I got uh, the brew shine on the right. I'm just gonna take tiny, tiny little sips. So don't be offended. Oh no. It is, 10, 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah. That smells good. Oh, yeah. So that's a Hefeweizen. Is the, all is right. The, so I hate Hefeweizens. Well, this so is, we'll see if distilling fixes them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 10 times more potent than, I guess, your average 4.5% uh, Hef. But you get that, well, what I, I always describe it as banana that funk. It's way more palatable than a Hefeweizen. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, the there's short- a cool after fl- taste mm-hmm. that I can't identify. Very sweet. That was one thing that really surprised us when we, because our first batch, we got a bunch of Hefeweizen and uh, it it was cool to get kind of that, that wheat mouthfeel and the sweetness that comes from wheat. And then. The second one is an IPA. I was going to guess that. Why didn't you let me guess? I could, oh. I could actually have actually been right. Because I felt like it, it has a little bit of um, a slight bitterness to it and a little earthy flavor. But wait, there's more. <laughs> now, take that IPA clear and, and throw it into a barrel. So, took that IPA ba- beer, threw it into a used porter barrel, from Smoketown again, and we call this barrel-aged brew shine. And you get that big malty flavor with the hops in the background. Yeah, that's a cool that's a cool flavor. Oh yeah. It's a wonderful sipper. I just love that malt smell. Yeah, the barrel aged version of that's really nice. Mm. How how long is that? Uh, is that just like a few months or what's the... So uh, we just rocked it and rolled it around the distillery for about six months. And I think... It still it, picked up a lot of flavor. Oh, yeah. It. Oh, yeah. It's got flavor. It's got color. It's got character. and uh, 90 proof? Yep, 90 proof. <laughs> do you do everything? It looks like everything's done at 90 proof or do you do... <laughs> oh, nope. That one's 100. Yeah. yeah our, our, <laughs> so we do our... Different series, we do at different proofs. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to stick to 100 proof for the the traditional whiskeys and for our red corn moonshine. I've done the brew shine at 90 just because we, we did experiments. We went from 80 all the way up to 120, and it was just the best expression came through at 90 proof. Okay. And, uh, my dad, he would do um, around 80 proof for the fruit-infused moonshines, which I know is higher than 
a lot of the other commercial ones that you get, but um, it just gives a a good product that's you know sweet enough for those that like it sweet and that uh, still got some boozy kick for those that don't. Does um does doing it high higher also help with uh, pulling flavor from the fruit in it too? Oh yeah, so I, I can see that that we do get better. I think like it extraction. helps break break down and put the alcohol pulls out the fl- sticks to. There's probably a much more elegant way to describe what's happening because I'm just thinking from a standpoint like Dogfish Head has this thing called the Randallizer where that like it's this complicated thing that you'll put in line with a, a tap and it's for infusing beer and higher alcohol content beers always would pull more flavor from it so I yeah. just would just think that that works the same way with yeah from the fruit the sitting inside of a yeah like solvent like properties of yeah. alcohol yeah um so which one i think it did i already ask you which one is the best selling oh uh, yeah you said it was seasonally but yeah seasonally but right now um apple pie and uh they've all been selling good like yesterday i was out at a farmer's market in uh middletown and it was kind of drab and rainy and Usually this the springtime summer markets blueberry that's a that's a top seller because we sample it as blueberry lemonade yeah. and oh, uh, nice. people are like oh that's a porch sipper I can't wait to get home <laughs> but yesterday best seller was apple pie it's it's seasonal but the fruits are the are the are the best yeah. sellers what kind of apples do you use and is it always like a certain variety or do you change it up we do change the variety based on availability but. Um, so this batch is batch number 13. The apples came from Ivy Hill Farm in Smithsburg, and the variety is Fuji. But okay. our first batches, we would use Pink Lady because it's crisp, it's aromatic, and it just it's a wonderful, wonderful apple to work with, but both that and, uh, and the Fuji. Do you always use locally sourced apples? Yes, always locally sourced apples, and in the interest of full disclosure, we've done jar trials with fresh blueberries, and it just doesn't give the the same infusion. So we get our blueberries from uh, uh, Food Pro here in Frederick, and they usually come from Maine or Canada. Okay. And just that freezing, I think it helps with the infusion of, of berries because it breaks down some of that we have cell the, wall. Yeah, it was the membranes break during that freezing process. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're smelling and sipping interesting stuff, should we do uh, a side-by-side grain comparison for rye and red corn? Yeah. Cool. Do you grow the rye yourself also? We did that... grow the rye. So there's the red corn. Here's the rye. And it's amazing how changing changing the base grain changes the whole spirit sensory feeling like the red corn when i when i smell it and i sip it i just get that corny corniness on the nose sweetness and the rye i feel it's got fire and spice and it's and they're both right at about 100 proof the the rye was 99.7 but rye is the beginning of making rye whiskey which is now Maryland's state spirit, and I'm excited yeah. for that. Officially this year. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I like the rye a little better. But I love, like, I prefer rye whiskey okay. in general. I, I just, I love that rye spice flavoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a harsher, that like, harsher in a good way. Like, it, I guess uh, more flavor, like, there's more in-your-face flavors. Yeah. With this one, I think. that The uh, corn one, I would say, is definitely smoother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say that big, bold, spicy, and that's why we've got uh, some barrels coming on the way. And uh, part of the trouble with working with rye is um, the viscosity, and it we we mashed up three different batches of rye whiskey. And, uh, the first one it was kind of a, a happy accident how we came upon this rye moonshine. Uh, Natalie and the kids and I we went out of out of town for a weekend getaway and. Uh, John was hanging out at the farm, getting a mash in, and uh, we had rye stored on a pallet next to the corn, and he pulled a couple of the wrong bags out, and <laughs> he got the mash in, and he called me, and he's like, Nate, I done messed up, <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean, and he's like, well, I mashed in with rye, what do you want me to do, shut her down, feed it to the cows, because that's part of our process is at the end of mashing, we take the yeah. spent grains, feed it to beef cattle, turn it into steaks and cheeseburgers, and, uh, but anyway... I was like, I guess we're committed now. So uh, usually we do 350 pounds of of the red corn. So just uh, changed the recipe up um, and did uh, 57% rye and then uh, 43% of the bloody butcher corn and said, go, go for it. Let's see what happens. And uh, it it turned out all right. But the uh, the second two batches, we burned on the heater elements in the still and scorch so uh, that kind of drove me to get a different boiler for for the still but we'll still have the, the same rest of the copper piping to make that beautiful whiskey are you um are you putting any of the rye into barrels also or is so we didn't uh we didn't we after we scorched it we just got rid of okay. got rid of that it just wasn't palatable sellable and um i'm committed to only making high quality yeah spirits so um i I didn't think a barrel could save it or redistillation (laughs) so um but we're supposed to get this new boiler in um in a short while and uh, i've got the rye bagged up in the barn can't wait to put it together as fine rye whiskey nice Mm -hmm. um do you have much in barrels right now or are you still not at a point where you're able to allocate much to aging? Oh, we've got a whole bunch in barrels. Well, for a guy with a 100-gallon moonshine still in his barn, <laughs> we've got um, – right now we've got about 200, 250 gallons of bourbon going. But we've also got a bulk in brandy because well, my brother-in-law, Carl, over at his farm – He's been growing grapes, making wine, and uh, we took some of that wine and distilled it, and it it made really good brandy. So we threw that in barrels. Brandy's got to be barrel-aged two years, unless we want to release it and call it an immature brandy or do some other wild labeled description stuff. Yeah. And uh, so we've distilled we've distilled wine from there. Actually, our first sales was um, we got wine from blue mountain wine crafters and distilled that so that cindy up in funkstown she could do a uh, a fortified wine and that was uh 
when was that? That was after the pandemic had started. It was, yeah, it was, I think three years ago. Yeah. That was our first sales. It was, it was, it was an exciting time when we, when we got that. So you had said you have more to say about daily driver. So why don't we talk more about that? Oh yeah. So daily (laughs) driver, I'm excited about that. So, um, We've been, so the label says charred oak flavored whiskey. And that's because it's not aged in a, in a barrel like the traditional bourbon. So what we're doing with that is mimicking the way my dad and I would put a gallon jug and put oak chips in there with good corn whiskey, allow it to age and get the flavor smell of, of, a, of a bourbon, but without throwing it in the barrel. So my vision for the for the daily driver is to make a great everyday sip in whiskey and to do interesting finishes on it. So my buddy Gary Cohen, we do farmers markets together. He's got Maseroth Vineyard over in Middletown and he's a phenomenal winemaker and he made a port and we we talk at markets and he's like I was telling him about like how the Scotch folks they'll take their whiskey and then finish it in a bourbon they put it in bourbon barrels or they'll put it into use uh, Madeira casks or other interesting things to yeah. get a finish on it. And uh, he said he had some port that was coming off his wood um, wood slabs and uh, asked if I wanted it. And I jumped at the opportunity and we released that and people love it. I love it too. It makes it bigger, bolder, fruitier, and just phenomenal. So it's a, big trend in bourbon right now it's port port barrel finished bourbons Mm -hmm. and it's reusing something from another like-minded industry and doing cross collaboration and so i'm excited about that one also um we just did uh he has an award-winning tanat wine and that's the grape variety and so we just got um some more wood last week and we've got 100 liters not a not a huge amount but We've got that infusing, and that's going to be our next release. And it, when you get that, it just emboldens and gives these extra fun fruit flavors that you don't get without fun wood. So are you taking those barrels and then cutting them up? and Or how, what, what's the actual process? Okay. So his style is not to do it in barrels. He does oh, it in okay. stainless steel tanks with, with the oak the, inserted as slabs or okay. or. Uh, cubes and uh so so you're able to just take exactly what he was using and use it the exact same way yep so the day that he takes it off that came over to the distillery went in the tank and then topped it up with daily driver which had been aging for six months so now we're kind of mimicking that finishing style but in our own way yeah that's pretty cool oh yeah i love it and sold out of that that batch very quickly and then uh now we're working on doing new and other interesting um, takes on the on the daily driver. So you you had mentioned the, it a little bit um, before we started recording, but the the tie in with tractors and stuff. Oh yeah. So um, the imagery on on our daily driver bottle is a 1942 Farmall A tractor, which is a very popular tractor model across the u.s and it was uh my grandpa's that they use for their garden at home my grandfather had one of those too oh yeah it's got the offset front end and it's just a 
a great 80-year-old machine that is still our daily driver at the farm. We use it for hauling wagons. Like That's what we hitch up the gravity wagon to, to bring it around for when we harvest and um, just doing light work because it is 80 years old. Yeah. And um, I was really excited last year during our Valleycraft Network studio tour, um, the weekend before Thanksgiving, which is oftentimes my birthday. It was my birthday last year. Had uh, the folks down from... Uh, the Smithsburg Tractor Society, and they brought antique farm equipment. They brought two tractors. They brought a mill for grinding the corn and a sheller. So um, we had picked ear corn and uh, had some shelled corn that came out of the bin. And with that antique equipment, they were running, doing demonstrations, showing people, you know, how things have been done in the past. And, Are you going to do that again this year? Oh, yeah. They're coming back this nice. year again. And uh, so that day... Uh, shelled the corn, ground the corn, and got a mash in during that as a, a demonstration. Because that's the the purpose of this tour is to see artisans yeah. doing their craft. And are you going to do that whole thing? Oh yeah. Sh- okay. Oh yeah, we're doing it again. And um, so the the bottle's got a special tag on that says steel wheel because that's what they call the the tractor. And uh, we're we released this at the Smithsburg Farmers Market a few weeks ago as a fundraiser. Um, supporting their mission to educate the public about antique um, farm equipment and to um, promote rural heritage. My grandfather also had this Soviet uh, tractor that was just like a beefy tank of a tractor (laughs) because he just collected them. And then, I mean, he would use them on the farm, but he Mm -hmm. had way more than he needed. (laughs) Well, back in my, my grandparents, well, I grew up living next door to my grandma and grandpa. So summers there until I like became a pers- permanent resident of the, the Boy Scout camp in Dillsburg, Camp Tuckahoe, um, and a staff member there. It was, I was always up at grandma and grandpa's and they kept a large market garden. And anytime grandpa would fire up a tractor, I would run outside because you can hear them because they're big, yeah. they're old and hop on the back and just Not tag quiet. along whatever, <laughs> whatever yep. was going on. I, um... The one he used the most, it was an international, and it had said the big, huge red fenders. To go over, mm-hmm. I would s- sit right there next to him, and yeah. he would go about whatever he was doing. I was happy as hell. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. Like some, those are like some of the the fond childhood memories, or just being outside with dad and uncles and grandpas yeah. and. So do you have, uh, what do you have coming up that you're excited about other than a couple little things you, or not little things, the couple things you listed? Oh, so up and coming things. Uh, we're working on a tasting room in Boonesboro because right now at the farm, we're doing our cocktails out of a cocktail trailer and a tent because we were born during the pandemic. So it just made sense to do everything outside. And now uh, we've got a our tasting room, which is right off the square in Boonesboro and we anticipate opening that at the end of the summer, early fall. And, um, we're trying to be open for labor day and, uh, want to get that going. So we have a comfortable place for people to hang out year round and try our stuff. How do people stay up to date with what's going on at the farm? Oh, uh, well, we're on the Facebook, Instagram. And, uh, if you ever get a bottle from us at a farmer's market, we'll ask for your email address to, you know, send you cocktail recipes and news from the oh, farm. Cool. Do you have, is there anything that I haven't touched on that you want to make sure that people know? Oh, uh, well, 
we're a true farm distillery turning sunshine into moonshine and uh yeah that's the the basics of pathfinder farm distillery do you want to answer some intentionally stupid questions oh of course who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate uh pirate because of uh advanced technology like uh blunderbusses and swashbuckling skills that is the correct answer does pineapple belong on pizza oh of course that is the wrong answer along with ham no this is both not good incorrect opinion <laughs> mine is a fact <laughs> <laughs> is uh is nickelback a good band hmm no, they had a song. It was popular. <laughs> they had a bunch of popular songs. I will argue that. Uh, actually, I don't know. They, yeah, I, I like. I'm one of the people that like to make fun of them. If you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? Oh, um, "Uptown Funk" by Bruno Mars. <laughs> that's, my, that's my get me going in the morning song. <laughs> Is that a daily uh, pump you up ritual? No, it was uh, uh, when I was job hunting after I got out of the Navy. Like, I needed something to, like, get me up. And I was like, all right. If you were a new member of the Spice Girls, what would your name be? Oh, boy. First thing that came to my mind was Corny Spice. But, yeah. I mean, that fits. It works. I would go with that. Yeah. Who's your favorite Disney princess and why? Uh, it's got to be Ariel because my daughter's a redhead and she can sing so beautifully. I love that you had an answer so quickly for that. If you were to win the Powerball, what's the first thing you would purchase? Uh, beautiful distillery tasting room. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, my gosh. Um, Prince William. <laughs> he's i don't know when i was in the navy and we go to the philippines the filipino people were, you look like the, the prince and i'm like i do where's uh, the prince harry i don't know i don't know which one's which i know which one you mean yeah because the one that looks very like me different, but you don't really look like him maybe like would, 10 15 years ago i did maybe he's he's weirder looking Very okay weird. well thank you <laughs> Like I, if I were you, I would take that as an insult that <laughs> that you look like him. Uh, what would the title of your autobiography be? Oh my! Invest in experiences, not things. That's kind of been uh, my mantra with my wife Natalie. Like when we were traveling, um, like it's good to get out there and. Try sail the yeah. sail around in a sailboat for yeah. travel, meet people, and explore other cultures and enjoy all the things that life has to offer. Starting a business probably wasn't the I didn't have to thing. invest in a bunch of things. <laughs> also, kind of anchors you there for <laughs> yeah. But like like for the farm, my vision has been to give people. A wonderful yeah, it's a different experience. Kind of experience. Yeah, we want them to come out, enjoy the countryside, get away from, you know, the hubbub of daily life, and you know, enjoy themselves. All right, one more. What do we want to go with? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Of course. Actually, that's fine. Uh, crunchy <laughs> or creamy peanut butter? Oh, uh, crunchy, definitely. It 
Crunchy is definitely the superior. Thank you so much for coming out, Nate. I enjoyed tasting through your products, and the, I love the stories that you have. I feel like you have a lot of great. There's a lot of intention and like meaning and story behind what you're doing, and I love that with a alcohol producing company. Oh yeah, we we love what we do, and we look forward to seeing everybody. So thank and, you for having me. It's been oh, a good absolutely. time. Absolutely, and thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.